Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Today, we are delving deep into the world of financial wealth management and the personal journey of resilience. With me is a luminary in the financial realm, Jeremia or Jerry Feta. Jerry stands out as a beacon in this industry, not just for his profound knowledge, but for his unique mission to demystify wealth management, making it accessible and relatable for everyone. As the brain behind Wealth Dynamics, Jerry's fingerprints are on numerous success stories across the United States, helping countless individuals lay the foundation for solid financial futures. Beyond his role as a financial expert, Jerry has penned three remarkable books. His latest work is particularly striking as he lays bare the trials and tribulations he faced both personally and professionally. Yet, like a phoenix, Jerry rose from these challenges, showcasing a resilience that is nothing short of inspiring. Throughout today's episode, we will explore pivotal questions like, how adversity shapes our view on wealth and finance? the driving force beyond Jerry's passion for financial freedom. The delicate dance between a founder's vision and the company's fiscal health. And uh, Jerry's insights on personal wealth management investments and even retirement into this tumultuous economy. For our listeners, Jerry generously offers access to his free book, The Blueprint to Financial Freedom, can find these resources and more at jerryfeta.com slash b2f promo. So without further ado, let's dive into a world where finance meets real life stories and discover the keys to building personal wealth. Jerry, welcome to Scouting for Growth. Hi, Jerry. Welcome to Scouting for Growth. Hi, Sabine. It's great to be on. So great to have you and um, to welcome you. It would be great for you to give us a bit of a background, where you come from and where you've been and where you are today so that we can put a bit of context to our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so presently, um, you know, I'm the, the CEO and founder of a company called Wealth Dynamics. And um, my company, we help families, individuals, and entrepreneurs over here in, in North America, um, you know, achieve greater financial education, greater financial stability, and also, you know, financial freedom in the future at a, at a greater degree as well. So that's, that's kind of my vision, my mission. Um, I grew up in a family uh, in Alaska, actually. So I lived in Alaska for about 20 years. Um, grew up in a poor oh. family. So <laughs> yeah, very cold. I'm I'm in Kansas now, which is like a less cold. I just was in Florida. So, um, you know, it's a nice warm stint for me for a while. But, uh, you know, for me, I grew up with a lower income uh, experience. And like my parents, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. When I was eight years old, um, all in the same summer, my mom and dad got divorced. We lost our house, the car got repoed. Uh, and I was homeless both on my mom's side and on my dad's side. So, 
Um, you know, growing up, I didn't have um, this experience of succeeding with money or succeeding as an entrepreneur. And I didn't really have a lot of examples. Um, and so I think that's part of, you know, my story of as I started to, you know, go through school and, and do the normal thing, uh, it really resounded with me to be a business owner. I wanted to be able to have control. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be able to, you know, kind of right some of those wrongs that I experienced when I was growing up. And I really wanted to understand money because I had such a lack of understanding and such a bad experience with it as a kid. So I got into uh, personal training first. I was a bodybuilder. I won 2010 junior Mr. Anchorage and uh, I thought I was going to do that forever. And I started to get into finances. And so I got into the financial industry when I was 18 and I got my licenses and uh, the rest has been history. It's been the natural progression of just evolving and growing and, you know, kind of putting my vision into reality the last, you know, 11 or 12 years now. Yeah. Your story is interesting, right? Because you have been able to experience a variety of emotion, I guess, and uh, challenges as well, personal and financial, which I guess you now are able to convey to your audience, your clients, the people you're actually meeting all the time. So tell us, how did this experience shape your perspective on wealth and finance and I guess wealth management, Jerry? Yeah, so I think for me growing up, not having money, sometimes there's an advantage there, right? So that really instilled in me hard work. And it also kind of as an entrepreneur, um, I'm a lot more comfortable with risk because I've come from a place where I've had nothing. And mm -hmm. so I'm not afraid to go back there if I need to, because I've been there, I know what to do. I know how to rebuild from that position. Obviously that's not the um, the plan, right? That's not the optimal thing, but I, I've seen, you know, sometimes when you grow up and you've got a little bit more, um, you know, comfort and you're kind of accustomed to that, it, it makes you more conservative. You're more, you know, trying to protect and avoid risk. So that's definitely shaped an aspect of me there. And then a big thing for me in my business that's shaped kind of my philosophy with money is um, when I first got into the industry, I kind of got into what I would consider the traditional side of things, Yeah. right? So here in the States, the, the normal retirement planning and Wall Street and stocks and bonds and all this normal stuff. Um, and so we kind of have this, this, this philosophy in life as a culture where we go to school to get good grades and then we go to college and we get the degree and we get the job. And then we, you know, save up in our retirement accounts and then we try and pay off the house and we try and build up this nest egg. And when we're 60, 65 years old, we can finally enjoy what we've put together, right? For me, my mom was my first client and we did all of that. And when she turned 60, she was actually diagnosed with terminal cancer. And six months later, she passed away. I'm so sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, and it was it definitely was a shocker, right? You know, as a as a son, it's not something you want to experience. But as a as a financial professional, um, I kind of watched the plan um, unravel with me with my own mom, and I looked at that, and I really was like, wow, that's that's not something I ever want to have a client experience again, um, and that's also not something that I personally want to experience. I want to enjoy life now, and so um, that's really shaped the way that I do things with my company, where we work with clients. We're really focused on you know, how do you win with money today? Mm -hmm. You know, like our, 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 the, the present time is what we have. Our lives should be lived now. And so it's about building greater financial freedom today um, and doing that in an incrementally increasing basis, but not putting it off till we're 60. Yeah. You know, we want to enjoy life as we have it. 
And I think, you know, this is a theme I've heard over and over again, partly, uh, I guess, since we experience a pandemic and then we are, you know, very uncertain as to whether we are going through some level of recession. And um, what's your view, Jerry, around what we are learning at school? How useful those lessons we are learning at school are for building financial freedom or some level of understanding how to manage money, do you think? So my experience with it in school was was almost non-existent. Um, and I, I luckily, like my senior year, I had a teacher who was a part-time life insurance agent. So in his evenings and weekends, he was teaching about investing and stuff. And so in my college composition class, uh, he actually took a day and he showed us, you know, the power of compounding interest and a few other things. And for me, that was enough to see like the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, and so I was a straight A kid in school. Like I was straight A's probably until 10th grade. And I realized if I kept getting A's, they were just going to keep giving me tests about things I didn't care about. And so I remember Sabine intentionally like lowering myself down to a C level because I was like, I don't want to keep getting like more advanced math classes. I don't know what I'm going to use this stuff for. Yeah. And so I kind of reduced myself down to, well, I'm going to just do the bare minimum to get by and I'm going to focus on other things. For me at the time, it was sports and bodybuilding and things that I was more interested in. So I think school, you know, it's it's necessary. We need to learn basics, but I think it does a really poor job on two things. And it really is an area that we could simply improve is telling people the purpose of school right? It's a very long period of our lives where we don't really know why we're there other than just get good grades. Uh, and the real purpose of it is to get a job, like get a good career and be a productive citizen. And the purpose of a job is to earn income. And so we get out of school, we maybe go to college, we get the job, we earn income. Well, most people don't know what money is truly, what to do with it, how to win with it. So it's like, you play this game, you don't know why you're playing it, you don't know what the rules are, and you don't even know what the prize is or what to do with it once you win. Um, and if you put that into any other game, it wouldn't work. So I think those are some things that we definitely can work on with school. You know, as you were speaking, I remember my own experience 30 years ago. Uh, I actually bought a book. It was a black book, and I think it was called uh, Get an MBA in 30 Days. And like you in the book, I learned about compound interest rate, CAGR, AIR, and I thought, oh, okay, I need to do something more interesting with my money. And actually, funny enough, I was very lucky. I had a, a grand, a godmother who, since I was born, put uh, at the time, you know, 500, 500 pounds every year in a bank account, a fund for me which actually compounding and actually it's the way I paid for my MBA. But, you know, those lessons is what shapes you and makes you potentially more aware of the long-term value of money if you are investing it early on for it to deliver mm. value in the future. But you have to do it very early. So that takes me to you, Jerry, as a founder and CEO of World Dynamics. You have made it your mission to bring financial freedom to families, to individuals, to entrepreneurs. So right. what does that entail? You know, what do you do every day? So my day to day, as, as my company has grown, it's changed a lot. Right. Okay. And so, um, you know, for me, I bootstrapped it like I was I was the guy and I built it up. And a lot of entrepreneurs do that. Um, 
And so my day-to-day -day used to be a lot of calling, you know, clients and doing the work and doing the sales and doing all of that. And I still love doing that. My dad instilled the value of hard work. And so there's, I've got to do something that's hard work. I can't just be in my ivory tower all day. But as a CEO now, my day-to-day -day is, is a lot of observing, right? And so I like to actually shadow my staff members and I like to be present on their calls, on their Zoom meetings, and just watching and being a fly on the wall and taking notes so I can see, okay, what's happening? You know, what's going on in the organization? And I'm able to take that data um, and I combine that with a lot of study, right? I like to do several hours a day of reading and just studying business and administration and how to be a better executive. And, and I'm able to combine that and kind of take some of those observations and fine tune the organization a bit better. Um, and, and I'll typically, I'll take that and I'll put that into an actual written plan. And I, and I'm, more strategic with that now. It's a work in progress on, you know, as a CEO and as a founder, especially, it's so easy to see something that's wrong in the organization. And immediately we either want to go fix it ourselves or we want to immediately go tell someone, hey, this is happening. It's a fire. It's emergency. Go get it handled. And we don't realize like, you know, some things are, are needing to be handled, but not at the cost of stopping something right now. And that's where strategy comes in and timing comes in. And so a lot of my day is spent once I've got that data from my observation, putting together really well-written plans, um, making sure that the sequences are there, the timing is there, and then releasing those to the right people at the right time to go get handled. And so that way the organization keeps moving forward. Um, and the best analogy I've heard is for a CEO and a founder you know, you want to spend your time either in the marketplace with your people, you know, watching and, and seeing and being part of what's going on, or you want to spend it, you know, dreaming up new ideas, or you want to spend it planning, you know, how do you make those ideas reality? And so I try and keep my time inside those, those zones. And so it's interesting, Jerry, because you have already touched upon the difference between founder and CEOs. And so what could CEO do every day and how do a founder become an effective CEO or should every founder become effective CEOs? I think this is an interesting question because yeah. I meet a lot of founders, as you know, and I've met founders who are CEOs, which probably could do just being evangelist, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think, you know, when a founder is also the CEO, and in my case, it's out of necessity, right? That CEO, you've got to find the right person. Um, and so I think, you know, the the founder really should be the one that's, that's like you said, the evangelist. They're, they're dreaming up things. They're coming up with ideas. They're communicating the vision to the team. And it really should be the catalyst. It's the person that your group is like, that's our, that's the man or that's the woman that we're inspired by. Right. And so it's important for the founder to like be focused on those activities. Um, from my personal experience, when the founder gets involved in being the CEO, you have to intentionally realize that you're wearing two different hats and not wear the one when you're wearing the other. Right. So when I'm a CEO, it's about how do I take an idea and how do I turn it into a plan that can then be implemented? And, and that has to be based on, you know, strategy and observation and study and all these things. And it's very nitty gritty, right? And, and before I was good at planning, I would put together a list of things and say, go do it. And it would take 10 or 15 minutes to write. Then it would take weeks or months for my team to do. And they'd be running all over the place. They'd, they'd be spread thin and very busy, but not a lot of productivity. Yeah. And so I realized when I, when I take more time on finding the right plan, 
right? What's the right plan that's going to handle the right thing and really do a good job. It might take me a week or two to just write that plan, right? And then I put that in place and it's actually going to get done and it's going to be quicker and more focused. And that really is what the CEO should be doing, right? Um, and, and that's going to come from being involved and seeing and actually observing what's going on. The founder is going to be more focused on, okay, look, what's, what's the vision? Where are we going? Right. And, and constantly thinking of ways to innovate and improve and, and kind of, you know, further painting that picture. So I think in an ideal world, it's not perfect for the CEO and the founder to be the same. I think at some point, you know, and as soon as as feasible, there should be separation there. Right. And yeah. and it's interesting as a founder, like we don't always see the day to day. Right. And so the founder is looking at the big picture. Like for me, like one of my visions right now is, okay, I want to, I'm in the U S I want to expand my company into Canada. So we cover all of North America and that's awesome. I don't see all of the, you know, the problems, the obstacles, the client questions or this or that. And so when a founder starts getting into management, it's very easy for them to become frustrated and kind of get abrasive because they're just like, why aren't we there yet? right? They're not looking at the integration. They're just looking at here's where I want to go. That's the destination. It's not happening. It's not fast enough. And that can kind of taint the relationship between the group and the founder. And so I think it's very important that the founder is able to communicate the vision to the CEO. The CEO is able to take the vision, turn it into a plan, work with the COO, work with the staff on getting it done. And that kind of keeps the founder's hands clean and it keeps the, the communication really good between the founder and the group. And it prevents that frustration. So, Jerry, you have, Andrew, thousands of customers. Tell us about Wealth Dynamics, you know, how you work, how many people and your team, how do they help build that financial freedom? Yes. So right now with our company, we have, I believe, eight or nine really good staff. Right. And we've kind of tried to find our sweet spot on on every organization is a bit different. So we're. We're more, uh, we've learned, we're more kind of effective when we've got a smaller group of really good people, right? We've tried to go really big with the staff and it just created chaos. And so we've got the right people in the right positions. Um, and so really kind of with our, our structure with clients is the first thing we start with is always education. And so we do a lot of, um, you know, social media marketing, advertising, free content as much as possible uh, where myself, actually, as the founder, I'm the one out there that's, you know, preaching the message and sharing the concepts and and giving people, you know, help, really free help and, and kind of getting them interested and aware of the brand and how we can start to service them as clients. Right. And so um, when a client comes in, you know, that's one of the first things we do is we look at like, where are they at? Right. And we work with um, anyone that 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 really is is wanting to improve their finances. Sometimes that's high net worth. Sometimes that's entrepreneurs. Sometimes that's a normal kind of middle-class family. Uh, sometimes it's a young guy or girl that's just starting out and they're like, hey, I, I've got income. I just graduated. What do I do? How do I get to, to the point of being financially free? So the education is a big piece. And then we have a, a very particular sequence that we take our clients through on um, really kind of making sure that they're improving their finances, but doing it in a way that's organized. Right. One of the things that I noticed as a financial professional myself is that people tend to um, hear good ideas with finances. I should do this. I should do that. I should have a retirement account. I should have insurance. And they end up getting all this stuff and they don't fully understand how all of it works. They don't fully have a um, good organization in place to where they're keeping it neat. 
and it kind of turns into this mess, right? We kind of, we've all got the junk drawer in our kitchen, like that drawer where we just put like random batteries and pencils and wires and whatever else is in there. Finances end up becoming a junk drawer, right? And so what we do is we teach people just like with building a house, like, yes, you do need all your materials, but there's a sequence. There's a sequence of when you should do things, why you should do them at that time. You know, it should be before this or after that. And we kind of take people through that sequence in an organized and neat fashion. And we do it in a way where we really keep the education going the whole time, Sabine. Um, and this is different than kind of the traditional financial world, at least here in the US. Like in America, people just hand their stuff to a financial advisor. Yeah. It's like putting it in an oven. They just stick it in there, 350 for, for the next 40 years. Hopefully it's good when it comes out. They don't really know what's going on. And so we make sure they do. We say, hey, we're going to help you, but we want you to have an understanding of, of what you have, how it works, why we're doing what we're doing. And, and you're going to be in the driver's seat. We're going to be with you the whole time. And that way you can actually be in control of your finances. So that's kind of our model. And we're very big on the concept of achieving passive income that exceeds an individual's giving, their expenses, their taxes, and their savings. And that's the point where someone becomes financially independent. They're not obligated to trade time for money any longer. Yeah, that's really well well said. Uh, and as you were say, speaking, I was smiling because, yes, we do have those drawers everywhere, right, in, in our house where we just put all those batteries and the leftovers, let's call them. So how do we start structuring our financing our finances, Jerry, to actually build that financial freedom? You know, what are some of the techniques, the tactics? What can we do to start thinking about the draw and start structuring that drawer a little bit better? Yes. So there's a couple of basic rules, right? And so the first one is, is going to be, you know, starting to spend time on a daily basis, learning about money, right? And and a lot of times we think learning about money and we automatically jump to, okay, well, I need to go study the stock market or I need to understand retirement accounts. I tell people to get a little bit more basic, right? One of the first things we should be able to define is the difference between currency and money, right? And if you study historically, you know, currency is a medium of exchange. It's not a store of value, right? If you store in, in US dollar, you lose every year because of inflation. So there's currency, we want to earn and spend in currency. And so we want to earn, but then we also do need to save. And we want to save in a store of value. And that store of value is money. Oftentimes money is exchangeable, but it's also going to store value and it's going to, you know, at least keep pace with inflation and, and still give us that liquidity and mobility, right? And so that's really a fundamental to start with. And when someone really gets that, um, especially when an entrepreneur gets it, I see their their business typically expands because they have this idea initially that currency and money are one and the same. And there's always this, I want to earn lots of income and I want to spend it and invest it, but I also want to save it. And it's kind of like you want to do all these different things, but they all kind of compete with each other as far as activity goes. So when I can separate those out, you know, I'm really able to say, okay, this is what I earn and I want to allocate it, right? And that's that's one of the keys of being organized is when a dollar comes in, you should allocate it. Right. Pay yourself first is, is a big point. Um, and here in the U.S., historically, the top one percent of wealth, they save 40 percent of their gross income. 
40%. They've done that for hundreds of years. So that should be like one of the first targets is I want to be able to save 40% of my gross income. And, and that's about paying myself first and actually having kind of a segregated account that I send those dollars to, mm -hmm. right? Now, another concept we teach Sabine is called the triangle of wealth, right? And so wealth comes down to earn, save, and invest, right? Those are the three points of the triangle. And so if we keep that, that simple definition in mind, you know, if you apply a concept of economics to this, it's called monetary velocity. It's the, the speed of particle flow with your money. How fast does it move? The quicker I can make those revolutions around that triangle, the more I'm going to build wealth, mm -hmm. right? And so I want to earn lots of income. I want to save it. And then I want to immediately be putting that money to work and in investing. And then that's really on the investing piece. Like I think people should spend more time understanding what they want to invest in. Yeah. Because this is this is the part that tends to get automated. We don't understand it. We're busy. We don't have time to learn about it. Let's just give it to that guy with the suit and hope that he does the right thing. Um, and, and I think there's a lot more to it and it can actually be a fun thing. And it's for me, you know, very interesting to learn about investing as long as it's stuff that I'm aligned with. Right. So those are some basics. Um, and we have a whole system called the blueprint to financial freedom. It's a blueprint in a sequence and people can kind of like that dominoes game. If you line yeah. the dominoes up and you knock the first one down, they all go down. Um, very similar to that kind of approach where someone can kind of go step by step, uh, and implement all of this. So let's go into, into the book because you are offering a free asset, which is uh, this blueprint to financial freedom. And what can people take away from it? You already have shared a few of the items they can get by getting those the, the free asset. What else can they learn from leveraging that asset and uh, going into your website, right? Yep, jerryfetta.com. Yep. And you can get the book if you go to uh, jerryfetta.com forward slash B2F promo. So that's the letter B, the number two, the letter F, and then just the word promo. Um, but one of the things in the book, Sabine, that I did different is I wrote the book backwards. Oh. Right. And, and I did that because I want people to start with the, the end in mind. Exactly. And this, this is how I do all my planning as a CEO. I don't think about where am I at? What's the next step? I think about what's the end result. And I want to work my way backwards, right? And so we've had, uh, when, when people read this book, we've had, you know, just this week, actually, my, I love getting success stories from my staff. I had a staff member tell me, hey, someone read the book. And they said, like, where has this been? Like, we, this is what I've been looking for for so many years because it, it gives you a complete picture. So when someone goes through the book, they're not only getting the sequence, but they're going to feel a complete picture of, okay, this is everything someone should be doing with finances, right? And this is the sequence, and so it's going to really help with that. And then, you know, one of the things that that we teach in the book that's maybe a bit different is the concept of, of becoming your own banker, right? And, and that's actually setting up a system of controlling the money. Like when the income comes in, you put it into your own banking system and you don't need to literally go start at your bank. You, know, you, you can do this with various assets, but it's the idea that I'm able to deposit money into my banking system. And I'm wearing the hat of a depositor when I do that, but then I put on the hat of a banker. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what does a banker do? Well, a banker takes deposits and they put them to work and they earn money on those deposits. And so if I think about that as a banker, I'm looking at, okay, I've got money here. How do I get this money growing and, and being profitable? Yes. Right. And then you've also got the concept of, okay, well, well, the borrower, right? Typically a borrower is the one that's borrowing money from the bank. 
you're kind of also the borrower when you're taking those deposits and you're you're putting them to work. You want to put that ultimately back into your bank, right? You don't want to take your money, invest it, and then go spend it all. You want to put that back into your bank and redeploy that capital again, right? Mm -hmm. And when you do that successfully, you make profit. And in a bank, there's a shareholder, right? And so that shareholder is generating profit off of the activities of the bank. And so this is what we call the banking quadrant. And so when someone thinks like this, they're they're kind of wearing the full scope of all the hats, you know, with their finances of depositing money, being a good saver, putting that money to work, being a good investor, being a good borrower where I repay my profits back in. And then obviously being a shareholder where I'm paying attention to what am I earning? How am I how is my growth looking and, and how is the whole system as far as the health and expansion of it? And, you know. Those concepts works very well for founders, right? Because as a founder, you may have one or many bank accounts and you are taking a small amount of that money to pay yourself, you know, every month and then you are allocating those funds. So, you know, when you're actually not having a job paid by somebody else, I think you tend to be a little bit more wary and thinking about money in very different ways. I want to ask you a question about retirement and saving. We have a major problem across the globe right now, and I am doing a lot of work around longevity and aging at the moment uh, within my industry. Because as you know, countries like the United States, the UK, France, Italy, Japan, Spain, you know, average age is around 85 nowadays, and we are all going to live longer life. So what's your view when we start looking at financial freedom, when we start integrating as part of that thinking, saving and retirement and, you know, living longer in the future. Yeah. So I think fundamentally the concept of retirement is broken. Um, I'm very big on, on words. So I like to understand like derivations and origins and the origin of the word retire actually means to retreat. And so when I think about this and I think about the story of, of my mom, right? So she had passed away at retirement age. Um, and so I think, you know, if she would have known, hey, I'm not going to live past 60, I think she would have lived her life very differently, yeah. right? I don't think that she would have been focused on retirement. I think she would have been focused on experience and longevity and getting the most out of her money. And so I think that that really is the, the corner we need to turn as a culture, is, you know, instead of saving money up and putting it in a nest egg and, and really when we put it in a retirement account, at least here in the US, like we're told pay yourself first, right, which you should, but are you really paying yourself first? If I put my money into an account that I can't touch for 40 years and I lose control of and Wall Street makes fees and I don't have any return or guarantee of any return, did I really pay myself first or did I just pay someone else first? Yeah. Right. And so they, I think that's part of it is there's, there's got to be two things that come together. An individual needs to understand their purpose in life. Finances fund that purpose, right? I don't think anyone's goal in life originally is to retire. I think that that's an industrial age concept, relatively new in society and the world in general. Um, and I think if, if most people, if you really ask them, their goals are something different. They want to start the business or they want to travel or they want to help their church or they want to you know, do a number of different things most of them are not going to be defined as retirement, right? And the studies show, and you probably see this when people truly do retire, they get mental diseases and uh, they die earlier, right? Dementia, all, Alzheimer's, those kick in earlier. They don't live as long. So there's something to the individual having a reason to get up every day, having something to go do that gets them excited and keeps them living. 
Um, and so I think that that really is, is, you know, one of the things that's got to be there. And then the other part is that the individual themselves, they need to have a better knowledge of their own finances and better control over it. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get them more interested in, okay, I want to go in this direction with my life. How do I align my finances this way and, and make sure that I'm funding that future, right? And, and when I do that, it probably means I'm not just leaving it in a retirement account or giving it to a bank and hoping that in 40 years, it's still there. It's probably more of an active approach where I'm more focused on it, right? It's kind of the difference if we're talking CEOs and founders, it's kind of the difference between you know being a hands-on CEO and a hands-on founder that's very you know, I know what's happening in my organization and I'm intentional versus kind of a removed one where it's like, I just collect money from it. I don't really know what's going on. Right. And I think that that's kind of what happens with retirement is people are hands off. It's over here. They're hoping it's going to be okay in the future, but they're not really controlling what's happening or directing that future. Yeah. And I think it's very important. I mean, I have a wealth manager and we, my husband and I, we've had um, this wealth manager for many years for at least 20, 25 years. And so we believe in reviewing, you know, on a regular basis, quarterly, yearly, and based on where the market is going, making adjustment as you highlighted. But one thing I want to tell you, you actually highlighted something very eloquently, which is about purpose. Money is there to form the purpose our direction. The reason why I think it's very important to for me to, to highlight that is because doing a lot of work around authenticity with uh, tech founders, tech startup founders, because often founders are really good with their product and not always as good to articulate their purpose. And so when you start helping them, you know, find investment or help them with their go-to-market strategy and find customers, you realize there is this disconnect because it's not very clear why they actually went to the venture uh, any longer. And the reason why I started realizing this was important is because I was talking to a lot of investors. And this year in particular, one of the, the my friends, the investors said to me, Sabine, now we are so ruthless when we look at startup pitches. We want founders with purpose, with an investment thesis. So they said to me, we want them to have an investment thesis. I said to them, WTF, you are the investors. You are the one needing the investment thesis. No. Why are they coming to us? We want that thesis. And by the way, it took three months to develop those. The one who come and think they can actually get money uh, in a week by just, you know, slashing a little bit of a PPT is going to have a really hard road. And that's why what you said around purpose linked to authenticity, authenticity linked to back to how you make money and how you align all your goals and objectives, you know, starting with the end in mind, like the Amazon quote, and then maybe writing your press release and saying, I am going to do this, and then setting a path to achieving those goals. So Jerry, that takes me to, you know, when you look at where you are going to be in 10 years time, what would be the ideal for you, you and your team, and what you could maybe tell, you know, your friends, your family members around your achievements? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I just want to comment, too, on, on the purpose. Like, you're going to see, and you probably see this a lot, Sabine, there's really two types of founders. Uh, there's founders that are trying to further their vision, and there are founders that are trying to exit their vision. Right. And typically a founder, when I see a founder that's trying to exit their vision, it's because they have a failed purpose or they didn't have one to begin with. 
Yeah. Right. They had an idea. They got very into the mechanics and then they, they, they lost that somehow. Right. You know, the excitement went away and it's not this fun, you know, kind of adventure anymore versus a founder that has that purpose. Like they, they know why they're getting out of bed every morning and they've got that push and an investor is going to see the difference between the two for sure. So um, kind of to lead into my answer. So for me in 10 years, um, you know, one of my, my visions is to expand into the European market. Okay, um, I forgot staff. to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, so so I've got staff in Europe. Uh, one yeah. of my one of my chief executives, she lives in Germany. Uh, we've got you know my my uh, my wife is French, right? So there, we've got a lot of European connection, and so I I hear all the time because we've got staff and just kind of connections that will see our philosophy and what we do, uh, and that's the first thing that they'll ask if the European is like, how do I do this? And we're like, well. Right now we can't like there's there's it's so different because it's not like the U.S. where it's this one big group of states and it's all got the same laws. Every country is a bit different. Yeah. And so um, one of my games, you know, when as a founder, I think of, of like games, the game I want to play. Right. It's going to be exciting and it's going to have, you know, a big impact. You know, for my main vision, it's a world where the majority of wealth is owned and controlled by good people. And those good people use it to improve the freedoms and conditions of humanity across all dynamics of life. And that would include Europe, right? And so we have US market, we can expand into Canada very easily. The one where it's like, you know, the prized possession and nobody's done it yet is Europe. And so that's that's a vision that I have where I communicate that to my team. And, it, and it's cool because that vision, like to really do well in Europe. And I just have a friend that recently expanded uh, a power company and uh, they're doing natural power sources in the US really well here. And he's now expanding into Italy, right? He mastered the US market and he's like, nobody's doing this in Europe. Let me go to a European market. So I'm, I'm kind of seeing from afar the experience he's having of going through and winning over the regulators and working with competitors and using translators and all this stuff. Uh, and it's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that, you know, it really, it furthers the vision and it improves the reach, right? The amount of people you can impact globally. So that's something that I'm very excited about. My team's very excited about. And in order to do this, just like with my friend, we've got to really master the concept in our own market. Yeah, It's got to be something that's duplicatable and easy to scale and can be scaled through barriers like a different language and different regulations and you know, different competitors, different market, different publics. Uh, and that has to come from something that works really, really well to begin with. That's a super vision. And that was one of the questions I had for you. I know you're in the United States and, you know, I wanted to ask you whether you were going to come to Europe because I, I can see, you know, these really being transferable in Europe, which also take me to probably my last question. What's your view of the platform such as, you know, eToro, Coinbase, a lot of those platforms have, you know, mass market, the the ability for people to invest um, and, and find ways to create wealth in some ways, maybe sometimes very quickly. Um, it's interesting, you know, the amount of people on my Instagram reaching out to teach me how to do Forex or crypto. So <laughs> what's your view? <laughs> so so I'll say two things on that. Um, the only investment that I have lost money in was foreign currency. And so that's not something that I have a lot of interest in anymore, where the returns are alluring and it looks very easy. But at, you, at the end of the day, like, I want to know what I'm investing in. Right. So again, I'm big on words and where they come from. 
And so the word invest actually comes from uh, to clothe your capital. So it literally is like you're putting clothing on your money. That's the investment. And so for me, when I'm wearing clothing, like I just think about for myself, if I was going to pick out an outfit or clothing, um, I have a checklist that I teach all my clients and it would apply to investing too. And so the first thing is I would only wear clothing that I actually have control over, right? I do not want to put on pants, walk out the door and have someone be able to take my pants away, right? Like I, I, I don't want that experience. And I wouldn't want that with my investments either. Okay, so control is a big factor and that can be through investing in hard assets like real estate or precious metals or something of that nature or control can be achieved through oversight and regulation. So if I invest in something like you know, kind of the retail stock market. It's very highly regulated. Um, you mentioned working with a wealth manager. The chance of, of somebody emptying your account and leaving with the money is very low, right? So those are two ways to achieve control. I also want to cover a few other points. It's got to be something that I like. It's got to be something that I understand. Yeah. It's got to be something that fits me individually. I wouldn't wear clothes that didn't fit me. So I wouldn't invest in things that don't fit me. They've got to be investments that fit my goals and purposes. So for example, I'm from Alaska. If I was going to go hang out in the snow, I'm not going to wear shorts, yeah. right? Like there's a specific things I would put on for that. So it's got to fit the goals and purposes. It also needs to be vital. Like I'm very big on investments that, that are vital for humanity. They've got good use value, right? And with clothing, it's kind of like, you know, I would make sure that I've got, you know, a shirt before a Gucci belt, right? Mm -hmm. The shirt is more vital than the Gucci belt, right? Not to say I wouldn't eventually buy the Gucci belt, but I'm going to cover the shirt first. And then finally, as I'm not going to overpay for clothing, I'm even though I'm a CEO, a founder, investor, I'm not the guy that spends $300 on a pair of pants. Um, you know, they're pants. And so I'm going to make sure I'm getting a good price for what I'm what I'm paying for and what I'm using it for. So all those points would fit with investing as well. And I was talking with a client last week and he was very like, you know, you mentioned Coinbase and foreign currency and all these things. He was very caught up in one particular investment. He was like, you know, allured by it. I want to do it, but I don't know if I should, but I want to do it, but I don't know if I should. And so I just told him, Hey, run it through those seven points. Yeah. Do you control it? Do you like it? Do you understand it? Does it fit you? Does it fit your goals? Is it vital? And is it priced well? Right. And I was like, it does, none of the other stuff matters if it meets all of those things. And what that does is it forces the investor to actually go learn about the investment, right? I've got to do some studying to be able to check those points off. Indeed. Right. So that's kind of my answer on that. Um, for me, like with with you know Coinbase and and some of the cryptos and, and foreign currencies, they don't meet those seven points for me, um, and so I don't invest in them for that reason. Yeah, you know, I put probably a thousand or two thousand uh, dollars last year into a crypto account. You know, one of those just to see how they work. I think yeah, you know, I didn't put more, right? I just wanted to see how it works. I think I probably have a thousand left, but you know, at the end of the day you know, half of it disappeared just to actually, it's it's okay to try with money you're prepared to lose, right? Um, yeah. But I think, as you said, the clothes need to fit and you need to understand how they work. I mean, you know, you need to understand the outcome you can, uh, you can achieve for those. And this is probably a little bit too speculative for me. And I'm in insurance, remember, I'm in insurance. So speculative risk is not me. So yeah. I'm, I'm not into speculation either. And I think a big one also is what does it produce, right? Like, like when I was a financial advisor, um, you know, for example, like you could invest in, in a mutual fund that's got all these different companies. One of them, and I realized this after the fact, was a company that produced nuclear warheads. And so it's like, well, what does it produce? It produces death, 
Like, I don't want to put money behind that. I don't want to go bomb people and, and be funding that. So when I look at what does it produce on a crypto, like, I don't know what it produces. I don't see any value being produced for society yet. Not to say that it might not in the future, but at this point, there's not something I can look at and be like, that's the valuable final product of this thing. And, and that's why I can track and trace why this thing has worth. It is why, you know, thinking with purpose and being purpose driven becomes absolutely critical. So where can we find you, Jere Feta? Where can we, my, my, my audience and my listeners, can, where can they find you? So I'm, I'm all over on all the platforms, but the ones I'm most active on are going to be um, Instagram and TikTok. So just Jerry Feta on either of those platforms. Um, you know, you can follow me uh, if you want to message. I always like to message back. So, you know, hit me up if you have questions you'd like to learn more, but definitely check me out on TikTok and Instagram. Perfect. And what would be your, your last word of wisdom? You know, I would say um, as as the audience here, like is mostly going to be those founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, like the the vision and the purpose just cannot be overlooked. Yeah. And I would say if you're not clear on that yet, right, even even though my thing is finances, like that still goes back to vision and purpose. Right. If you look at the wealthiest people out there, like whether whether it was a good purpose or a bad purpose like sometimes you see wealthy people that do really good things with their money sometimes you they're the bad guy from the simpsons and they're trying to do weird stuff and and harm humanity none of that's the point the point is they still had a purpose yeah right so so really dial in on that as sabine and i talked on today and it doesn't have to be something you get done now like for me i'm always kind of crafting it polishing it adjusting it it should be a living breathing thing in your world Well, thank you, Jerry, for joining me. And I hope many of our listeners are going to download the Blueprint to Financial Freedom too. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Sabine. It's great to be on today. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.